So uh, they talked about Caesar and how, how many copies there were. She said 10, um, but depending on what you're looking at, there are 251 copies. Plato, she said there were about seven. And again, there can be up to 210 or at least partial uh, transcripts or manuscripts that, that, that cover Plato. Nobody questions the existence of Caesar. Nobody's looking back in history and saying, well, did Caesar really exist? And that's done, we're pretty confident in Caesar's existence based on 251 manuscripts. Homer's Iliad um, was, was written in 900 BC. The earliest copy is 400 BC, 400 or 500 years after it was written is the earliest copy. And no one really is, is questioning whether or not the Iliad or the copies we have are legitimate. We just believe them. And there are roughly 1,800 copies of that. Um, Tacitus, Herodotus, and uh, then the history of Rome, uh, they have even smaller numbers, and yet we still have a lot of uh, historical facts that we draw from those documents. But then you look at the New Testament, it was written, it was written and, and established within about 50, maybe 100 years of, of when the events happened. Uh, you know, 150 would be a really late, a really late date for some of the manuscripts. Um, but, but within about 120, 130 years, almost all of it was written. And they have manuscripts that go all the way back to within about 50 years. So if you look at the look at the rest of them, there's no other there's no other uh, book that we trust and see as valid that comes even close to uh, you know 50 years, 29 to 100 years, and neither of them, none of those others, come close to the number of manuscripts that we have. We have, as she said, 5,838 Greek manuscripts and 18,524 early Greek translations. And then with the, uh, uh, the scrolls, uh, the Lost Sea Scrolls and other codices, there's roughly 42,000 different copies that they can reference when they're translating Scripture. So if you've ever wondered, can I trust Scripture? Can I trust the Bible? Yes, you absolutely can. It is the most trustworthy document in history. It can be trusted more than any other document you've seen. So yes, you can trust the Bible. So it's a great document. We need, to, we need to consider that when we're reading. It's a miracle. It's not a book. It's an encyclopedia or a library of a lot of different books. So it's got a lot of great content written by a lot of different authors over a big span of time. And yet, I think it's written over about a 1,200-year span, and, but still over 1,200 years. All of the authors write about the same central character being Jesus, and they're all on theme with one another. There's no question about what's happening. So if you could imagine trying to orchestrate a a document being written over 1,200 years' time and have it all line up perfectly, that would be a miracle. So Scripture is definitely miraculous in and of itself. So we want to definitely give it our time. But there's more than that. There's more to it than just than the, it's a good document. In the year 2021, 29% of Americans said that they read their Bible. Or sorry, said they never read their Bible. 
In 2021, 29% of Americans said they never read their Bible. A year later, in 2022, that number was 40%. It jumped by 11% in one year. It's a, it's, a drastic, it's a drastic jump. In fact, it may not sound like much when you're just lo- hearing me say the numbers, so there's a graph I want to put up. Henry, can we put up the next picture? So these are the adult Bible users over time, and you can see by millions. So this is 118 million. In 2014, it was 129 million. In uh, 2019, it was 124. 2021, it was 128. Um, and then all of a sudden, and between 2021 and 2022, it just plummeted from 128 million down to 103 million. Now, these are people that, read, that, that never read Scripture, never read their Bibles. But if you look at the people who read their Bibles, the numbers aren't much more encouraging. I don't have a slide for this one, so you just have to listen. But 10% of people read their Bibles on their own once a day. 10% of people who read their Bibles, that's out of that 103 million, 10% read their Bibles on their own once a day. 4% read it four to six times per week. 7% read it two to three times per week. 5% once a week, and then 7% once a month. So the numbers just kind of trickle down. It's 10%. 10% of people who read their Bible do so on a daily basis. Of the 2 billion Christians around the world, less than 30% will read through the entire Bible in their lifetime. Of the 2 billion Christians, less than 30% will read through the entire Bible in their lifetime. And the number is even worse for Americans. Only 20% of Americans will read through the Bible in their lifetime. And if we're, if we're thinking, well, what's the big deal? I mean, can't, can't we just get what we need by going to church? Going to church ought to be enough. I, I shouldn't, I mean, that's, that's what we pay you for, right? You, you teach us the Bible, and then I don't have to read it over the course of the week. Um, that's actually not true. Uh, it's really important to read your Bible. My job is to equip you to be ministers of the gospel, not to teach you everything that there is to know about Scripture. Um, but in, right before the pandemic, I think it was, this was roughly 2017 or 18. At that time, 25% of Americans attended church, which was down from 47% in 1990. So if we're relying on church attendance to be able to get what we need from Scripture, that's going to be a challenge. And then 57% of American Christians believe other religions also lead to eternal life. And the reason I throw that statistic in there is because that should be concerning to us that we would believe that, that, or that 57% of American Christians believe that other religions lead to eternal life. And you can just choose whatever path you want to go. Um, 
That, that, is, that is concerning because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the gate. I am the door. No one comes into eternal life except through me. If we believe that, if we believe what's in Scripture, um, we can't make that statement. So it's important for us to understand Scripture and be in Scripture so that we can be in line with God's story and have our lives lining up with God's story. The noted Bible scholar James M. Gray told a story that underscores the importance of reading Scripture for personal growth. He said that when he was a young Bible teacher, he became deeply impressed by the peace and spiritual poise of a friend with whom he often talked. Since Gray wanted that same stability in his own life, he asked this companion the secret of his confident bearing and positive outlook. It all started with reading Ephesians, the man said. Gray was surprised by this simple response. He had read Ephesians many times, but had never experienced the same strength he saw in his friend. This man, noticing Frey's puzzled look, explained, On one occasion, when I was on a short vacation, I took a pocket edition of Ephesians with me. Lying down one afternoon, I read all six chapters. My interest was so aroused that I read the entire epistle again. In fact, I did not finally lay it down until I had gone through it some 15 times. When I arose to go into the house, I was in possession of Ephesians, or better yet, it was in possession of me. I had the feeling that I had been lifted up to sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, a feeling that was new to me. This testimony encouraged Gray to master the scriptures for himself. He began to saturate his mind and heart with God's word so that he could freely and effectively communicate it with others. And I've shared this story before about John Mitchell, the founder of Multnomah, uh, where I got my degree in Bible and theology, um, that, that he, was, he was out and he was listening to someone else give a sermon. And as he's listening to this person, this man give a sermon, he went up to him afterwards and said, how do you have such a deep knowledge of scripture? How do you, how do you understand how the whole thing fits together like that? Where did you learn this? And he said, well, I, I never preach a passage without reading the book 50 times before I preach it. So every sermon this guy would get up to preach, he would read the book that that scripture was from 50 times. And so Dr. Mitchell adopted that practice in his own life. And when he was preaching, he would read the book of, that the that scripture he was teaching on 50, I've heard 60 times, depending on who's telling the story. Um, I think 50 is probably a safe number. But he would read scripture, read the, read the book. So if he's doing a sermon on, on what we're getting ready to talk about, Acts chapter 17, verse 10, he would read all of Acts 50 times before he preached the sermon on the book of Acts. And so that's why his tagline as the president of Multnomah was, don't you ever read your Bibles? The students would come up to him and ask him a question about, about scriptures. They'd say, well, how did you know that? And he would say, well, don't you ever read your Bibles? So he read it so much that when he was late in life and he couldn't remember anything, 
when he was on his deathbed, he couldn't remember, couldn't remember his name, couldn't remember family, he couldn't remember anyone that came to visit him. He had no, no understanding of who people were. But yet, Dr. Friesen, who I was able to live with for a year in college, he would start a passage of Scripture almost anywhere throughout the entire Bible. He would just open up his Bible and start reading a paragraph of Scripture, and Dr. Mitchell would come in and finish out the quotation to the, to the end of the paragraph. That's how deep it was in his mind. And he did that by reading it over and over and over and over and over again. So the Bible is important, and there's some, some stories and some, some statistics to try to convince you that the Bible is important. But I thought we could use some circular reasoning, since we believe in the Bible, we can go to the Bible to talk about the Bible. Um, we could, we're going to use some circular reasoning on, on why reading the Bible is so important. So I've got several passages of Scripture that I want to go through as quickly as possible uh, to do so. We're going to start in Acts chapter 17. After that, we're going to go to 2 Timothy. If you have a Bible, you can keep your, book, uh, your Bible open to 2 Timothy 2 and 3 because we'll be there a couple of times. That would be the easiest one to keep open. We'll be in John. I've got a bunch of scripture I want to throw at you and then just and walk through uh, what it's saying about why scripture and the study of scripture is so important. So Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 10. As soon as, as, soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to... Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So the Bereans have a reputation throughout church history as being a highly uh, renowned group of people. And this is why, this is, this is where that, that reputation comes from. First, we learn that they received Paul's message with great eagerness. They were eager to hear what Paul had to say. They weren't, they weren't resistant. They weren't fighting. They weren't combative. They weren't argumentative. They were eager to receive what Paul had to say. So first, they received Paul's message with eagerness. But here's the critical thing for us that I think is so important and maybe so missing in the church today, is that they would take the, the, the sermon, what, what Paul taught, and then they would go back to the scriptures for themselves to see if what Paul and Silas were teaching was true. 
And this is something I've said oftentimes over the course of, of my time being pastor here at six eight is it's one thing to listen to a sermon and I hope you'll listen to my sermons and I hope you'll just be, you know, just be wowed by by the sermon at the end of the night and and just enamored with, you know, how how much biblical knowledge I still don't have. But um I hope you'll do that, but but one of the things I've actually really hoped and said for many years is that you have a responsibility to take what I've said back to Scripture for yourself and then study the Scriptures and see if Scripture says what I say it says. And if it doesn't, then you have a responsibility, biblically speaking, to come talk to me about it, to see if what I said was right or wrong, or if you misinterpreted what I said, or if I misspoke, and then we have to get it right together. That's, a whole, that's supposed to be a part of the process. That very rarely happens. We're not supposed to do it with a critical ear or a critical mind, but we're supposed to take the message that we've heard, go to Scripture for ourselves and study. That's why we give you the Scripture references every week when we talk so that you can go study them for yourselves. Otherwise, I just read through it and, and hope you get it. But the result of this, so what is the result? As a result, in verse 12, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So because they were receptive to Paul's teaching, because they studied scriptures for themselves and saw that it did in fact confirm what Paul was teaching, they believed, a great many of them believed as a result of this process. So that's one reason why scripture is important and it's important for us to study the scriptures ourselves and not just take what's given to us. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 Paul is talking to Timothy, and at the beginning of chapter 2, he's gone over a bunch of things that, that, uh, that Timothy needs to know to be the leader of the church at Ephesus, and, and he's, he's, he's writing this letter to remind Timothy of a lot of the things that he's taught him. But then he says here in verse 14, keep reminding God's people of these things, everything that he's just said, specifically one thing, and we'll get to that in just a second. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. So Paul said, keep reminding God's people of these things. What things is he talking about? Most importantly, he's talking about the gospel. Verse 8 of chapter 2, Paul says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. It's a great little line. God's word is not chained. God's word cannot be chained and contained. No matter how much people try to get rid of it, they will never succeed at doing so because God's word cannot be chained and restrained. Paul wanted Timothy to remind people about Jesus 
and the gospel and everything that was so important and is so important. That's why we sing a lot of the songs that we sing and talk about the gospel every week when we do communion because the gospel is important for us to remember every single week when we gather. But he says, quarreling about words is of no value and only ruins those who listen. It would be really great if a lot of theologians could read Paul's words and put them into practice because there's been a lot of quarreling about words over the years, over the millennia. But he says, do your best to present yourself at, to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Who does Paul say should do their best to present themselves as one approved? Timothy should do his best to present himself as one that is approved by God. He's not saying that, that I, Paul, am going to present you as Timothy as one approved. You, Timothy, have to do the work yourself to present yourself as one who is approved. One who correctly handles the word of truth. By the way, I, I just want to throw this in here. This isn't really uh, completely in line with what we're teaching, but it's how the chapter ends out. He says, avoid godless chatter. Those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Verse 23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will." Avoid godless chatter. Don't get involved in quarrels. Don't be a quarrelsome person. Uh, there, are, there are certain groups of churches that have actually a reputation as being quarrelsome, being argumentative, and I'm not going to name them by name, uh, but, but we do have them here in our area. And, and uh, the, there's a church in town. The pastor of that church is not quarrelsome, but there are other churches down in Vancouver um, who, who are quarrelsome. They, they love arguing. They believe they have all of their theology perfect and correct and right. And, and they're going to argue with you and prove you wrong until you succumb and, and give in to what they're saying. Paul would say, um, don't do that. That's a waste of time. It's, it's useless. In fact, it actually... It actually is a trap of the devil to get involved in that. Keep your finger there. We'll come back to that in just a second. I want to go to Jesus' words himself, John chapter 5. Jesus talks about Scripture several times. This is one of those instances. We covered this a while ago. But Jesus says, The Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. Jesus is saying, you can listen to me because the Father who sent me has testified concerning me. So there's somewhere a testimony about Jesus from God that the, that the people that Jesus is talking to are supposed to believe and buy into. 
Jesus says, you have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So doesn't that seem to say something different than what I've been saying? Isn't it saying that, that studying the scriptures too much could be a problem and maybe we shouldn't study them too much because they love to study the scriptures. They're diligent about studying scripture is what Jesus says. Well, we have to, we have to pay attention here and make sure we're understanding what Jesus says. Jesus is saying that the Jews didn't believe in Jesus in part because God's word didn't dwell in them, even though they studied the scriptures diligently. Have anyone, has anyone watched um, like, a, like a 60 Minutes or a 2020 or uh, some of the shows, some of the evening shows that come on on the news when they talk about the Bible or they talk about the resurrection or like the History Channel when they talk about the resurrection? And, and, and all of the scholars that they find all have one thing in common. None of them believe. <laughs> At least on the, the History Channel ones that I've watched, a lot of the scholars are unbelievers. They don't believe in the resurrection. So they've studied the scriptures diligently. They've looked, at, they've looked them over and over and over, and yet they're not believers. They're similar to the Jews who've studied them diligently and yet don't believe. And the reason... They don't believe it's because they don't believe that all of Scripture is pointing to Jesus. If you study the Scriptures, you have to be, you have to allow yourself to go where Scripture is pointing you, and Scripture is pointing us to Jesus. So diligent study of Scripture is good as long as all of that diligent study is pointing us to Jesus and not to a puff knowledge of our own, where we feel like, oh, I know what I'm talking about because I've studied the scriptures. No one better argue with me because I've studied the scriptures. Scripture points us to Jesus. Jesus gives us eternal life. Scripture does not give us eternal life. That's what Jesus says. You study the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is the one who gives us eternal life, not scripture itself. So studying scripture diligently is good as long as it's pointing us to Jesus. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. This is a really good one, a really important one to know how important scripture is. Verse 19, we also have, Peter says, the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
It's important to talk about prophecy because a big chunk of Scripture is prophecy. And Jesus himself talked about prophecy where the Father was testifying concerning Jesus. This is what Jesus is talking about. How through the prophets, God spoke and testified about his son that was going to come. And the prophets are all in alignment that Jesus is the Messiah. So prophetic message is something that's completely reliable, Peter says. Prophecy, true prophecy, biblical prophecy, is God speaking through people by the power of the Holy Spirit. God would empower someone with the Holy Spirit to speak what he wanted to be said, and that prophet was only a good prophet if they were faithful to say and write down and communicate what God said. If they added in their own interpretation, if they tried to explain what they, th- what, they, what they thought God was trying to say, they were not good at being prophets. They were only responsible for passing on the message that God was passing on. So no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of the prophet's own interpretation, nor is it a matter of our own interpretation. One of my pet peeves as a pastor over the years is when someone will come up to me and talk about a Bible verse and they'll say, well, I take that to mean. And I try not to get too upset about that phrase, although my wife has heard me rant about it a few times at home and likes to use it on me from time to time. Well, I take that to mean. And I understand where that, what that's coming from because that's, that's a good process to think about Scripture and do your best to try, to try to get it in your own words and think about what it's saying. But here's where I get, I get a little bit kind of pastorally righteous is it doesn't matter what we think it means. It matters what it says. And that's what, that's, what, that's what Paul or Peter is saying here. It doesn't matter even what the, what the prophet thought prophecy was saying. That wasn't his job. His job was to just communicate it. It's not our job to, to, to say, well, this is exactly what this means. And you see this happening all, the, all over the place, especially over the last couple of years as we've gone through the struggle of 2020 through now, a lot of people have been throwing out things from Revelation and saying, well, see, this is what Revelation is talking about. It's pointing to this, and this is pointing to this. this. This is exactly what this means. The problem is they've been wrong a whole bunch of times. And if they're wrong, well, they're actually not supposed to listen to them, and there's some other things that we're supposed to do as well, but we'll leave that for another sermon. Second Peter, or Second Timothy chapter 3. I'm just about done with the Bible. I'm going to wrap this up. Got a lot of verses I think are really important. Chapter 3 of Second Timothy, verse 14. Paul is talking to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from who you, whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It says, continue in what you have learned, what you've become convinced of, because you know who you learned it from. 
And from the time you were an infant, you've known the Holy Scriptures because the people that you learned it from were teaching it to you. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture is what equips us for good work. I want to stop and say really quick, I think this is one of the reasons it's so important to know your pastor or the person who's doing the teaching. It's not just the lesson that the person is teaching, but it's the life that the person is living that was supposed to be a part of the teaching. And I'm not trying to brag or toot my own horn, but I think it's something we need to be very careful of in our time that we live in when we have so much good teaching available to us at all times through the internet, through YouTube, through podcasts, all of which are good things. But do we know the person who's doing the teaching? And a lot of people's faith has been tripped up over the years as they have gotten into a a specific teacher and that teacher falls. If you want to to hear a really thorough, disturbing example of that, go listen to the podcast, um, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, the one in Seattle with Mark Driscoll that crumbled uh, in around 2014. Talk about, you can hear the stories of how many people's faith has been damaged ever since because of what happened at that church. We don't attach ourselves to people that we don't know. We're supposed to attach ourselves to people that we know when it comes to teaching of Scripture. Scripture is God-breathed. It's something that God has spoken. It's useful for teaching, but not just teaching. It's also useful for correcting We need to be in a humble position that we're not just coming to understand knowledge, but that God's word can correct the parts of our lives that are not up to par with scripture. It's the canon, right? It's the ruler. It's the measuring stick that that we put our lives up against. And if our lives are not in keeping with the canon or with the measuring stick of scripture, our lives have to adjust to scripture. It's useful for correcting and training in righteousness. Now to a couple unlikely places to wrap this up. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 11. There's a whole bunch before this that we can't get into. I'd encourage you to go read Ecclesiastes chapter 12. He says at the end, the words of the wise are like goads. Anyone know what a goad is? G-O-A-D? A what? A prod. It's like, yeah, a shepherd would use it to keep the sheep from going off in places they don't want it to go, and it would have some pokes in it. It would have some, some, something sharp in it to, so that the sheep would respond to it. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God 
and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. There is no end to the creation of information. That's one of the things he talks of. The making of many books, there is no end. We know that now more than ever. More than the author of this could have ever even imagined. That, that there's just so much information available, available to us today. There's no end to the books that are being made. And much study of those books wearies the body. We become physically exhausted trying to keep up with it. It's easy to overwhelm ourselves with study and, and to even get physically drained when we're trying to study. Even if we just focused on books that were written about Scripture or about the church over the last 2,000 years, there would still probably be millions of books to try to consume in the last 2,000 years. It's overwhelming. It's impossible. How could I possibly consume that much material? That's why we need this phrase. He says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Well, how do we know God's commandments? Scripture. We know what God says is important by studying what God said. So what is important to God? Fearing God, that's something that that uh, a lot of people don't like that phrase anymore, that, that we're supposed to fear God, yet it's something that's mentioned hundreds of times in the Old Testament, that we're, that we're supposed to have a reverence and an awe and a fear of the Almighty God. We don't have to be afraid of what God is going to do because what Jesus has done for us is he has put an end to the war. So we are no longer at war with God because we believe in Jesus and have received his gift of grace. Now we are in, but still God is to be feared and revered and awed and worshipped and put up in the highest place and exalted But then he also says, keeping his commands. Fear God and keep his commandments. My last scripture and we're done. How do we we know God's commands? Psalm 119, verse 9 through 16. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that, can't, that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts. And consider your ways. I delight in your, in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. How do we keep God's commands? We keep God's commands by not only reading and studying scripture, but internalizing scripture, hiding God's word in our hearts that we might not sin against him. We delight in God's decrees, not neglecting God's words, 
but we're, but we're, we're delighted in the study of it. With our lips, we're supposed to recount all the laws that God has given. One of the things I said last week um, was that, you know, I listen to the Bible. I do a lot of listening as well as reading. And the reason I do that is not just because it works when you're driving. It does. But it's because all of Scripture was written to be told out loud. Scripture was not written originally with the intent of being words on a page that we read at our own pace. All of Scripture, the whole thing, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, was meant to be read out loud. All of the first five books of the Bible are called oral tradition. They were passed down orally from Moses, and then they were written down at some point in time. All of the Old Testament... All, all of the Psalms were all, were all spoken and, and recited and repeated so many times that people memorized them. It was an oral culture. So by the time you were, I think, uh, in the equivalent of, what, uh, fifth grade, if I, if I have my number right, you would have memorized the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, because you'd heard it night after night after night after night. And it was just part of their culture. The New Testament, the Gospels were, were written down, but then they were taken and read out loud because people didn't read in this time. All of the letters, all of the epistles are letters that were written and then sent around to churches where they would read them out loud for people to hear. All of Scripture was meant to be read out loud. We need to be in the practice of verbally, audibly recounting Scripture from our mouths. George, George Mueller, who was one of the great missionaries, said, It's a common temptation of Satan to make us give up the reading of the word and prayer when our enjoyment is gone. As if it were no use to read the scriptures when we do not enjoy them. And as if it were no use to pray when we have no spirit of prayer. The truth is that in order to enjoy the word, we ought to continue to read it. And the way to obtain a spirit of prayer is to continue praying. The less we read the word of God, the less we desire to read it. And the less we pray, the less we desire to pray. It's a very short sermon on the importance of reading and studying scripture. But you feel like, I know it didn't feel that short. I promise you it was short. But um, I hope maybe I've just, I've just maybe nudged you just one little step towards the importance of reading and studying scripture. It would be impossible for me as your pastor to teach you everything you need to know by myself if you're not studying on your own. But if we all study together, then we'll all be teaching one another together. And God has given different uh, people different abilities to teach. That doesn't mean you have to get up here and teach, but when we're sitting over there in those rooms, when you're studying Scripture and something excites you, then you can share it with someone at the table. And I believe how God works is that when he 
gives you insight into something and you have a really exciting experience with scripture, something that's really encouraging to you and you share it with someone, that person usually needs to hear what you have to say. Because God uses us to encourage one another. And sometimes, though we don't like it, and though we're not very receptive to it in the church today, God uses us to goad one another and to correct one another and keep one another going in the right direction so that we're all together moving closer and closer to Jesus, which is the point of it all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the miracle that we have before us. Thank you that we have it conveniently and easily there for us at any moment of the day on our phones and our devices. Thank you that we have many copies in our homes that we can go look at. And, and we're blessed with an abundance of, of Bibles and scripture all around us. To think that 500 years ago, somebody wrote, wrote and translated scripture for the first time and then was executed for doing so, called a heretic. That only a few people had access to to your word. And yet now, here we stand, having it at our fingertips, every second of every day. Help us to, to know whether or not we're rightly, correctly handling the word of truth, or if we're taking it for granted. And if we're taking it for granted, I pray, Father... That we, would not be, that we would not wrestle and feel like we're just burdened down with a load of guilt. That we would just take from this moment this evening the, the, the motivation. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to start. I'm going to start reading and studying God's word tonight. Before I go to bed, I'm going to read something. Tomorrow I'm going to read something. And I'm going to work at becoming a student of, of what you have said about your son, about your kingdom, and about your kingdom life over thousands of years. I'm going to become a student of it, not only that I might know it, but that I might live by it, that I might more accurately reflect you and your son, Jesus Christ, by the life that I lead and be a light shining into the darkness, that there would be something different about me because I live according to your commands and your ways in a world that doesn't. Help us to make that decision as individuals and as a, as a unified body of Christ, that we would be devoted to the study of Scripture and internalizing Scripture personally and corporately. In Jesus' name, amen.